Promotional consideration paid for by the following. Oh, you didn't know? We're taking over! Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Wrestling with a Bear. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Alex Alcazaz, a.k.a. the Bear of Texas. Joined by my side is Chris Rex. We proudly present to you the moment you've been waiting for, Wrestling with a Bear. What's going on, everybody? I'm so excited to finally be debuting Wrestling with a Bear with the Bear of Texas, a.k.a. Alex Alcazaz, by my side. Once again, (laughs) we had a fun time doing Dark Side of the Podcast where we covered wrestling's most infamous and controversial stories. And that's pretty much how me and Alex built our friendship. Exactly. And it was such a unique experience because you have a professional wrestler and you have a sports writer. Two's perspectives go into one. It was such a great experience. And the wrestling fan that I am today, I'm more into watching these wrestling documentaries because even in the world of professional wrestling, there's a dark side, there's incidents, there's stuff that happened that shouldn't have happened. I mean, it's not just something you see on the television, folks. It's not things we just saw in Raw as War or for you old school wrestlers. It's not just stuff you saw in the NWA or the AWA. There's a lot of things you don't know. We can all agree that we're wrestling fans at heart. From the nitty gritty from the start, it all starts with being a wrestling fan. Now, Alex, give us your introduction to professional wrestling. I will gladly, Chris. And this is a story I'm never tired of telling because professional wrestling changed my life forever. Survivor Series 1998 was my very first time watching professional wrestling. I was living in a Dallas suburb. I was living in Valley Ranch, Texas, close to the Dallas Cowboys practice facility. Well, the old one. And we had neighbors across the street. Their son, who was my age, was a huge professional wrestling fan, as was his brother, his father, and grandfather. They were basically kind of a wrestling fan family. The dad would tell stories about, man, I remember watching Ric Flair in his prime. My parents were going out, so I got invited to watch the event. This was just my introduction. What really pulled me in as a wrestling fan officially was January 4th, 1999. The night Mick Foley won the WWF title, not only put asses in the seats, but he put eyeballs on the screen. F you, WCW, for trying to ruin Mick Foley's life, for trying to ruin his career. The night I watched that match, I was with my mom. After the match, my mom kept complaining, he hit him with the chair. He hit him with the chair. It's not fair. She was referring to the fact that Stone Cold came and hit the rock with a chair. And I turned to my mom and said, Ken Shamrock was the one who brought the chair. And what about Shane McMahon distracting the ref and everybody interfering and attacking mankind? Was that fair? So I was supporting the face. My mom was supporting the heel. So the experience was, it really just changed my life. I I became a, a huge fan from that point on. And I've never looked back. So thank you, Mick Foley. Thank you so much for what you did that night. And thank you for everything you've done in your career. There you go, ladies and gentlemen. Officially, what turned me into a fan was the night Mick Foley put my ass on the seat and put my eyeballs on the TV. As far back as I can remember, I've been a fan of pro wrestling. I can clearly remember my first moment of popping in a VHS tape. And I seen Owen Hart and Coco Beware on an episode of Superstars. I really can't tell you what drew me into pro wrestling, but I was a fan my whole life. Some of my favorite wrestlers were Shawn Michaels, Bret Hart, Stone Cold Steve Austin, Mick Foley, The Undertaker, The Rock. I mean, that whole Attitude Era, I grew up in that Attitude Era, so I was a fan of everything going on in wrestling at that time. ECW, WCW, 
I was a channel flipper. I would switch between Nitro and Raw. And that's why I remember that night so clearly, the night you became a wrestling fan. It seems that you and I became fans at the perfect time. A hundred percent. Wrestling was popular again. It was big in the 80s, and then it kind of died down. It wasn't cool to be a wrestling fan. And then everybody was talking about WWF or WCW, ECW. It was just the thing to be, a wrestling fan. And like you, it changed my life. I wound up becoming a pro wrestler. Since the age of five, I always said, hey, that's what I'm going to do with my life. So pro wrestling definitely changed my life. And I don't know where I would be without pro wrestling. There's so many different styles out there. Mm -hmm. You have the, the British, the UK style. You have Lucha Libre, which is my favorite style. You have the technical, you have the brawlers, you have the hardcore wrestling, the deathmatch wrestling. It's just so many genres of pro wrestling out there. It's like music. There's just so many different genres. It's kind of hard not to find a promotional like, not to find a wrestler you like or a specific match that you like. Especially nowadays, there's wrestling in legit every state and every country. There's independent wrestling. There's companies that aren't widely known that do big country tours like India, Egypt. I mean, it's everywhere. You grew up in Texas. I grew up in New York. We grew up wrestling fans. Now we're sitting here discussing wrestling as podcasters. It's just really mind-blowing how wrestling also has brought people together. When I was a kid, I mean, watching the, the hardcore division of the Attitude Era, I mean, I loved it. I mean, watching the big boss man, Al Snow, all those <laughs> those dudes in the hardcore division, I, I thought it was pretty cool. I mean, the match would start in the ring. They would fight all over. I mean, I, I thought that was the coolest thing ever. I mean, I love the I Quit matches. I love the special kinds of matches. I love the tag team matches. For me, I, I just wanted to see a huge show. I wanted to see something cool. In other words, I wanted cool entertainment. That's what essentially wrestling, it's entertainment. It's a sport, but it's not a sport. It's entertainment, but it's not considered Hollywood. It's like a rock show, like an indie rock show. <laughs> in about a month, we'll be in Tampa, Florida for one of the biggest weekends in wrestling, WrestleMania weekend. I've been dying to take part in WrestleMania weekend as long as this whole concept of traveling to where WrestleMania is and a bunch of independent shows running all across wherever that state is. So I've been trying to do this for, for a while and now it was the right time. We, we found some good deals, but I'm really excited for going to Tampa and introducing you to some indie wrestling. Yeah, and I really appreciate the opportunity, Chris. And you know, as part of the experience, this is our chance to get wrestling with a bear out there. So this is just the beginning. And I'm going to tell the world something. For me, what's so special with a friendship with Chris is that in Chris's career, folks, Chris was once part of Raven's Flock. <laughs> that, I, mean, I get to tell my friends, dude, my friend Chris was once part of Raven's Flock. He, got, he, he, he took a kendo stick from the Sandman. <laughs> I mean, that is freaking cool. I mean, I've told some of my friends who are wrestling fans and they think it's cool, dude. And I swear, I'm not blowing smoke up here, but I promise you, they're, they're impressed. Well, I appreciate it, man. It doesn't hit me. It's when I hear stories like that or when I see the, the, the kid in the crowd that for some reason likes me. It, it doesn't hit me that, hey, I impact people. At Infinite Pro Wrestling, one of the main companies I work for, where I'm the Infinite Pro Wrestling Fury TV champion, 500, 600, 700 days now. I don't know. We haven't had a show since the pandemic hit. But there's this kid, Jojo, and he has autism. And he just took a liking to me. And it's like every show, it's, it's a surreal feeling. For me, it's just like I'm just going in there doing something I love to do. And for that little kid, it's seeing hope or seeing something in me that he sees in himself. Mostly I go against bigger guys. So 
it starts to hit me that, oh man, I touch lives. It's a crazy experience, man. And when you tell me things like that, you talk to your friends and tell them how far the Ravens flock or I worked with Sammy Callahan. It's like, whoa, I did that. It doesn't hit me until someone tells me a story. And then it's like, whoa, holy shit, I did that, man. <laughs> Pro wrestlers are heroes. And this is where we talk about the impact, you know, because for, for those of you who know me personally, you, you all see my story, how I was so ruthlessly, mercilessly bullied so bad, you know, when I was a kid, even by my own teachers. And it got to the point where I was watching wrestling, like the guys like The Rock, Stone Cold, Chris Jericho, in their promos, how they would make fun of the heels. Those guys taught me how to stand up to bullies because one day in front of the class, I literally told the bully, shut up, jabroni. And he was humiliated. <laughs> so, so I got, I mean, really, I, I didn't think. You called I, I was, him a jabroni. A jabroni, yeah. I got sent to the principal's office, but I didn't even care because that was in third grade, and I was finally leaving that dreadful school. You know where bullying was not only tolerated but actually encouraged. And I swear, this is this is on, I swear on my grandfather's graves. I'm not lying. Bullying was encouraged, but it was at a point where I'm leaving the school anyway. I don't care. I told the principal, well, my parents already told me I'm out of here. You can expel me if you want. I don't care. <laughs> it's funny that you say that because I have a flip side story. In middle school, it's actually how I had one of my first best friends, one of my first friends in life. We all used to pick on him, and I was an asshole. If everyone else is picking on the kid, that's what I did with him. And one day, he stood up to me in the lunchroom, and I was like, oh, we're about to go. All right, no doubt. So before anything can happen, the dean came in, and we both get sent to the dean's office. And I'm sitting there, and all of a sudden, he pulls out a uh, WWE magazine, and it just caught my eye, I, that logo. I said, oh, that's wrestling. And I actually sat down next to him and I apologized for being an asshole. And next thing you know, we're sitting there talking about wrestling. And I went to his house that day. Like, and his mom's like, oh, this is the kid that, that you got in trouble with. And we were best friends for years after that through wrestling. That's how you had a best friend back then. Two fellow wrestling fans, especially when they agreed on how wrestling goes, like who was the coolest wrestlers. That's how friendships were, were formed. Bro, we would watch every pay-per-view together. Like, it was, it's just so crazy how that happened. We were about to come to blows. And thankfully, the dean stepped in because I probably would have never gotten a note to kid. Wrestling is just a special thing. I mean, for me, when I was a kid, when people would annoy me about it, say, dude, it's fake. How do you watch? I mean, when I, every time I heard that, the F word, it would drive me crazy. It's like, it's like that, that gif of Jim Cornette, you know, when he told the story about, you know, the brawl for all. <laughs> but anyway... It was annoying because even my dad would do it. Like, I would watch it. He would just come in, sat by me, and literally be annoying. Like, why, why are you watching this stuff? It's stupid. It's fake. And and I would just leave him. I'm like, why can't you just understand the fact that your son likes this and just leave him alone? Some of my friends still go, like, you still watch that? I'm like, yeah. You got a problem with that? See, here's the thing. When people use that F word, that fake word, the simplest way to put it is, okay, but you enjoyed watching Wonder Woman, right? You enjoyed watching the Avengers. You enjoyed watching the box office draws, right? Aren't those fake? There's more realism than most people think. That stuff hurts, man. Like, taking bumps hurts. It's, if it was easy, everybody would be doing it. Exactly. Don't call it fake. It's scripted. That's the key. That's the word right there. It's scripted, okay? From my personal experience, it's always been like, I meet the person that day, and we're talking stuff out, and then... You could plan your whole match, and by the time you start the match, you either forget or things things happen in the match where you 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 have to alter, you have to call an audible as they as they do in football. 
you have to call an audible and you just have to switch gears. And that's where the training comes in is, okay, now can you work on the fly? You could sit there and plan in your whole match out, but what happens if something goes wrong? Can you work on the fly? And I, I myself have been caught in situations like that where I have this match in my head. So I'm like, okay, I know what's next, know what's next. And then something goes wrong or something's not clicking in the match. And you're like, oh, right on the fly, you have to start thinking of things to do without the fans noticing that something went wrong. Wrestling takes a lot of concentration. And you stress this out to people. Like when, you, when it comes to wrestling training, it's not like you go, you go to a warehouse, you go to the ring and you practice. It's, it's not simple. It's not what people think. I used to help train guys at the school where I was trained. We had one time where a uh, boxer came in and he wanted to learn how to do pro wrestling. He figured it'd be easy. He's a boxer, which if you're athletic, it does make it easier for you, especially if you have good cardio. But he came in and we had him just learning the basics, bumps, rolls, running the ropes. He paid his tuition and never came back. This is a boxer. He's an athlete. He's trained somewhat of a similar way and he couldn't do it guys have been doing it 10 20 years 30 years taking these bumps <laughs> taking these moves and and for uh one a guy comes in and never comes back one day that you should just show you the the testament to pro wrestling it's a tough life and it reminds me i used to be an amateur wrestler in high school and one time we had a football player who was a linebacker cocky arrogant first day of practice he quit Okay, we would do the takedowns, how to do a roll-up, how to pin. We would do the drills. He never came back. The wrestling coach we had is a great guy, but he was tough. But you got to understand, amateur wrestling is a disciplinary sport. I mean, that's why I chose to be part of amateur wrestling, because I needed a way to guarantee that I would stay out of trouble, that I would grow mature. Amateur wrestling changed me. Everybody would tease me like, oh, you, you want to grab big sweaty guys in spandex? I'm like, I dare you. Try it for a day because you're going to quit. You're going to cry. You're going to quit after a day because you won't be able to take it. The lifestyle of an amateur wrestler and the lifestyle of a professional wrestler, even, even a, of a journalist, it's tough. But keep in mind, there's no such thing as an easy life. What motivated me, too, is that I always thought, well, a lot of wrestlers that I respect, they did this kind of wrestling. Kurt Angle, Eddie Guerrero, Bret Hart, Owen Hart, they were all amateur wrestlers. So I figured, you know what? If those dudes can get through it, I can do it, too. If the dudes who inspire me can do it, then I can do it, too. Eddie Guerrero and Kurt Angle, I watched them a lot, and you know, and you could you can just tell that they had an amateur background. They the way they would go in the ring. So, point was, if you work hard, you can do it. I really wasn't athletic as a kid. I was into video games. I was into wrestling. That's what I did. When I was in high school, I joined the football team. Just something to do. My best friend was on the football team. I was like, hey, it'd be cool. I'm thankful for it, but I also regret it. There was a lot of bullying, a lot of hazing going on, especially when you're in high school. We all know that. So it made it a tough time for me to actually want to be a part of the team and want to really put in an effort. I played one game. I tried my best at practice. I was always a small guy. So it was really discouraging for me. And I really wanted to play football. So it kind of like drove me into wrestling more. This doesn't fit with me. And when I started backyard wrestling, that's when I really started finding myself. I was a teenager when I started backyard wrestling. I found a group of friends that we all banded over over backyard wrestling. And so it's like wrestling helped me find myself as a teenager. Who would you say was the most inspiring wrestler to you? Like you've been a lifelong fan of. I would say Stone Cold or The Rock, but the problem is 
I didn't actually watch them my entire life. For me, to answer your question, it's got to be a wrestler that I actually literally have been watching my entire life. That would be the best in the world himself, Chris Jericho. I started watching him when I was six, and I'm still watching him wrestle. And I am 28 years old. Chris Jericho has been my favorite wrestler for a very long time. It's a good one. He's definitely one of one of my favorite wrestlers. For me, lifelong fan, Rey Mysterio. He was a small guy. He had the cool mask and the outfits. And he was a luchador, so he always did all these crazy moves. And to this day, like, that's probably the first guy that I've seen. I was like, oh, he's skinny. I could probably do this. <laughs> and it was uh, always the smaller guys, Eddie Guerrero. Like you said, Eddie Guerrero, he was always the smaller guy. Chris Jericho, Dean Malenko. I love The Rock. I love The Undertaker. But there was just something about the Eddie Guerrero's and the Chris Jericho's and the Rey Mysterio's. And I was like, okay, I, I like this much better. It's a much faster pace of wrestling. For me, it, it's more entertaining than maybe a Hulk Hogan match. And that's not to knock Hulk Hogan. He helped make the business. But that was my style of wrestling. And that's kind of when I started wrestling. That's what I adapted to is learning the, the Lucha Libre style. And speaking of those guys, Eddie Guerrero, Rey Mysterio, the fact that how badly they were so misused in WCW. If you listen to the, the interviews uh, by uh, Conan, Conan is one of those dudes who doesn't hesitate from just telling you the truth. It's a shame, really. I mean, I'm sure that if Eddie Guerrero and Rey Mysterio had been used right, I, I guarantee you WCW would have profited well off of it. But Conan once said in a shoot interview that the top guys were all part of the booking committee. It comes to an ego, narcissism. They would hold the guys back and just literally put the spotlight on themselves and keep them there. Unfortunately, when it comes to a main event spot, it's not for everyone. Not everybody can, can take it. Although sometimes you don't have to be the main event to be a draw. The wrestling business, you know, it, it's a tough world. I mean, it's Scott Hall did once say, if you don't want to be on top, you're in the wrong business. But everybody works hard. Unfortunately, some guys never get to be main event status. Well, there was something I was taught. And that's some guys are put in a certain position because they're good at that position. Some guys are good at being in the mid-card. When I had first started, I felt like I was jobbing out. I was being a jobber. And it wasn't until I had a talk with my trainer and I said, hey, am I doing something wrong? Like, what? Why am I like, I'm always losing, you know, because, you know, I was still, I was still green and I didn't quite understand the business yet. And he told me, he said, I do that because that's what you're good at. You're good at making people look good. That You're good at being a heel. So anyone that goes against you, if I want to make them a face, all I have to do is put them against you. If they get the win, they get the huge pop. What I would be good at is making it look like I'm in control of the match and then I would pretty much egg on the crowd the whole match and have them come up with a surprise victory. As I started wrestling more and learning about the business more, I started to understand like, okay, that means more than winning because like you said, it is predetermined. So that crowd reaction matters. What I just did for, for that guy matters. And when I started seeing it that way, I really started understanding all right, what it is I do. You were learning the business, Chris, and you were paying your dues. A hundred percent. I never complained after that. I never complained about losing or who I was working with. Because I was like, okay, I know I'm trusted in this position. And that's why I'm there. Maybe I never got to be in the main event, but I gave fans in that crowd a moment to remember it. And they loved it. 
And that's the business, man. <laughs> that's the business. You put on a show. You take the business seriously, and, and that's what the business needs. I'm asked all the time, you know, what are your favorite moments in wrestling? I'm like, that's just so tough. I would ask, well, from when I was a kid or when I was a teen in the Ruthless Aggression era or as an adult. And they always say, well, we, we'd like to know all three. And from when I was a kid, well, King of the Ring uh, 2000, when the, when the Rock won the WWF title by pinning Vince McMahon, that was actually a pretty special moment for me. Or the night Rikishi turned heel. I didn't care at the time, but now that I look at it, I was like, yeah, that, they should not have put they, Rikishi turning heel was a terrible mistake because he was over as a face. I mean, he was his popularity was was just getting even was through the roof. So turning Rikishi heel was a terrible mistake. You know what's funny about that is uh, when they did that whole who done it storyline with who who hit Stone Cold with the car. I remember on WWF.com they had a send in who you think it was and they had like a bunch of different options and I picked the Sultan <laughs> <laughs> the Sultan was up there so I was like oh it's the Sultan and I clicked the Sultan and if you don't know Rikishi's previous gimmick before being Rikishi was the Sultan so Sultan. technically technically I was right the Sultan did run over uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin you called it I called it, which is also like the time I went to one of those WWE fan access things, and there was this thing where, uh, guess who wins the Royal? It was around, it was the day the Royal Rumble. It was when it was in Madison Square Garden. They had like, you win a, a limousine ride to Royal Rumble and the Royal Rumble tickets, and then a limousine ride, you rip Ric Flair, and they, you know, the whole gimmick. And this is when John Cena was injured, and I'm like, John Cena, John Cena, John Cena. And everyone's like, and I'm just doing it to be a, to, to be a dick because I'm like, oh, John Cena's injured. So I'm just screaming out, John Cena. And everyone's like, oh, shut up, shut up. Da, 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 da. <laughs> what happened that night, Alex? John Cena came out and won the room. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Was that in 2008, by the way? Yep. Okay, I, yeah, that's that's when he returned. Yeah, he was the number 30 entrant, yeah. Now going to, to my best moment in, in the Ruthless Aggression era, I would probably have to say the day that Saturday night's main event was in Dallas. The main event was Edge versus John Cena for the title, but unfortunately Edge, well, Edge lost by disqualification, which, you know, doesn't mean anything. But DX versus the Spirit Squad, the five-on-two match, I mean, that just... 2006, when DX re reunited, I mean, uh, the whole thing, I loved it, but, but that particular night... It was a five-on-two uh, elimination match, and there was the two holding cells. You remember what happened at the end of the match when when the Spirit Squad lost? You know what, what Vince McMahon tried to unlock him and set him free, and then you know what happened? He took two switch in musics, and then he got locked in the cell with the Spirit Squad. I and mean, the whole thing was just so hilarious. A friend of mine, you know, invited me, and I remember you know begging my mom, "Can I go? Can I go?" And she said, "Yeah, that's fine. Go ahead." It was it was in the summer, so it's not like I had school the next day anyway. So I went, had a good time. You know, it was good to find. It was actually good to actually be there and watch DX, watch John Cena face get face Edge, and one of the their best rivalries from during that time. But as an adult, to be honest, my best wrestling moment as an adult was not from a show. It was actually when I actually met Jim Ross face to face because Jim Ross is my play by play inspiration. I mean, he's the dude who inspired me to study broadcast journalism because I love his play by play style. Okay. I mean, yeah, there's the, oh, oh, my God, will somebody stop the match? I mean, there's the humor, but really, when you listen to JR do play-by-play, -play, you hear the passion. 
you hear how how much he loves it, how serious and committed and dedicated he is to that. And that's how I feel. So the day I met Jim Ross, you know, bought his book and he signed it for me. And he even actually gave me some advice. And he, he actually asked me, Alex, I want you to promise me that you will never give up on your dream, that you will work hard. You will keep paying your dues because it will happen, Alex. And I said, I will. I promise, JR. I will. I will never give up on my dream. So that was the best. That was the most special moment for me as a wrestling fan. When I made a promise to JR. That's a pretty cool moment. That's a pretty cool moment. For me, some of my favorite matches, you know, that really stick out. Definitely Shawn Michaels versus Stone Cold Steve Austin, WrestleMania 14. I clearly remember watching that and that whole uh, Shawn goes for the super kick. Uh, Stone Cold grabs his foot, spins him, gets him into the stunt. I love that. Um, I actually used that in a match before. <laughs> and it still catches the pop. Eddie Guerrero winning the belt, man. SummerSlam 98. Uh, yes, it was SummerSlam 98, Madison Square Garden. Me, my brother, Ricky. Pretty much the, the whole crew went to Madison Square Garden. Oh, that, oh I love that. I got that, some that Stone Cold Steve Austin versus The Undertaker, which is really awesome to see that live and see that whole event live. Uh, I got to hold, you know, my brother's lighter up for Undertaker's entrance. You know, that was when, you know, the Zippo lighters were big. So, you know, I felt really cool. I was like, yeah, I get to hold up the lighter for Undertaker's entrance. <laughs> Didn't Triple H beat The Rock for the Intercontinental title that night, too? In a ladder match, you know, mm-hmm. ladder match with the yellow ladder. That was the first time I seen the yellow ladder used in a ladder match. And what's funny is back then, Triple H was the face. The Rock was the heel. Yeah. Yeah, he was. As he was still with uh, the Nation of Domination, I believe. Was he the leader yet, or was this before he became the, before he became leader? I think he, this was, I think this was, uh, he was already the leader this time. Okay. So this, this is when the Nation dumped Farouk. Oh, it may have been like right around, you know, that transition. Because I know the Nation of Domination and DX were feuding hard during that time. Shawn Michaels versus Bret Hart. Iron Man match. Shawn Michaels versus The Undertaker. All of them. <laughs> All of those series of WrestleMania matches. <laughs> they were they were amazing. And then, you know, also as being a wrestler, you know, there were some cool moments like... um of course, being part of Raven's flock, which that was a good and a bad night. <laughs> uh, you you met New Jack that night too, didn't you? Yeah, I met New Jack that night. At, Tell us the story, brother. Uh, here we go. All right. So for those that don't know, one of my one of my first bookings was for Extreme Union. They would they would pretty much bringing back ECW without the name ECW. And, well, at least they were attempting to. And so it was a big reunion show where, you name it, ECW guys, where, where, where Sabu was supposed to be, where I say supposed to, <laughs> Sabu was supposed to be there. Um, we had Jerry Lynn there. We had New Jack there, the FBI. And I was there. I got selected to be a part of Raven's Flock. He was going to do this whole new flock thing. I, that was my dream because I'm like, all right, cool. I'm a huge fan of Raven. He pretty much inspired the whole Chris Rex character and the whole snot gimmick. And so uh, I'm getting, you know, I'm just examining everything going on around me. Um, the show's going on. New Jack's there. He's in gorilla position, waiting for his, you know, for his spot in the show. And New Jack's theme music is Natural Born Killers by Ice Cube. 
and Dr. Dre. Yeah, Dr. Dre. Oh, it's Dr. Dre. It's Dr. Dre. All right. So he there's an intro in that song. It's about like 30 seconds long. He skips that. All right. And, you know, it just goes to when the song, you know, actually starts. Well, after the woman scream. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. There's like yeah. a gunshot yeah. and a woman scream. And he had specifically told production earlier, like 30 seconds in, you know, 30 seconds in, 30 seconds in, 30 seconds. Well, the sound guy decided to play the song from the start, from the intro. And New Jack just lost it. Lo I mean, lost. He had a garbage can full of weapons. He had like, I don't know whether they were Wolverine claws or Freddy Krueger claws. I don't know what they were, but he was swinging these things. And I'm like, legit, maybe like five feet away from him. And I, I, I was scared shitless, man. I'm like, oh, I'm about to like get killed by New Jack for just being here, man. I, and he's screaming. 30 seconds, I told you, 30 seconds in, you can't understand, 30 seconds. He's flipping out, and I'm like, oh, great, this this is a great experience to have. I'm green as shit, man. Oh, that's, <laughs> that was my meeting New Jack experience. You know, because before that, we had, like, small talk. Nothing I could sit there and be like, hey, me and New Jack talked about this, you know. Yeah, so it was just crazy seeing him go from, like, Cool Calm Collective to he's about to kill this dude. So, yeah, that's that's my new deck story, folks. It, it was it, that was quite a day. <laughs> Quick question: He made it. He made it very, very clear to the sound guy to play it thirty seconds in, right? Yeah, from from my memory, like I said, I was right there. From my memory, he told the sound guy, and I'm sure he did, and I'm sure other people told the sound guy as well. And don't be surprised, folks, that New Jack had the garbage can full of weapons. I mean, that's. That's part of New Jack's uh, thing, yeah. I mean, and honestly, it's badass. I like how he comes into the ring, throws the garbage can full of weapons while while his song is playing. I mean, I, I've actually gone back on the network and watched a lot of New Jack's matches. Um, during his time, he was feuding with the uh, the Baldies. I did watch his match with the with Mustafa Saeed. Yeah, yeah. For those of you that don't know, Mustafa Saeed did actually turn on New Jack. Uh, that's when New Jack was feuding with the Dudley Boys. That was in 2000, I believe. But I've, yeah, and I, I did watch uh, I did watch the infamous match with Vic. Well, I watched both of them. And, you know, the first one with that botched, and and then the second one where we all know what we all y'all know what happened. And I and of course, I mean, this is gonna make everybody laugh. I did watch the match with a little, with a tiny little old dude named Gypsy Joe. Gypsy Joe. Oh, I don't and, sell. And That's my gimmick. <laughs> and, and and we're gonna get to that because now where I'm at as a wrestling fan. I've become a wrestling fan slash investigative reporter because not be okay. And no, it has nothing to do with John Stossel. If you ask, if you want my honest opinion, what John Stossel did was not right. It's especially I'm coming. I mean, I'm a journalist myself. First of all, if you conduct an interview, you don't like. I mean, the, the way if if you listen, I mean, the behavior and everything was it was not right. And you don't go, you don't say, I'll ask you a standard question and then tell a guy I think this is fake. First of all, that's not a question, stupid. Okay, and. I mean the the whole story. I mean, you you see the episode. I mean, the whole how the whole thing went about it. It, it was it was a bunch of bullshit. Okay, and, and for a guy that says I don't like being bullshitted, well, the whole thing he did with the whole lawsuit and his and his ring, his ears ringing, it was bullshit. I mean, and I don't want to go any further because you know the whole thing kind of drives me crazy. But anyway, um, but now where I'm at today, like I watch, I still watch wrestling, but I like to I like to research and learn 
basically learn the business now. And as part of my in investigative reporting, like it, as many of y'all know, I'm, I am okay. I'll admit, and Chris obviously would agree, I am a bit obsessed with the mass transit incident because it's a, it's, I mean, it, it's a story that you have to do a lot of digging. Like you, you got to know ex everything that happened and how it came to be and everything. I mean, it's one of those stories that you can't just take aside. Like you got to know what happened. We, we did, we did cover the mass transit incident where, uh, with our new Jack episode of Dark Side of the Podcast, that kind of started mm -hmm. our our relationship here. It is about that time, folks. Um, we hope you you enjoyed yeah. us just shooting the shit here. This is the first episode. We wanted to give you guys an introduction to who we are and our love for wrestling and our passion for wrestling. Please share the episode out. Share it with your mother, your brother, your sister, your cousin, your uncle. Because if you love wrestling, then Wrestling with a Bear is the podcast for you. Chris and I will be attending a couple of shows. We will be getting this show on the road officially. We were glad to be on today to tell you both a little bit about ourselves. And just so you folks know out there, if you have any requests, any subject, particularly in wrestling, that you want me and Chris to talk about, you can find me on Twitter, find Chris on Twitter. We will fulfill your requests. We care about you fans out there. We care about our loyal listeners. Believe me, our job is to make your day. We would like to thank each and every one of you for listening to this first episode of Wrestling with a Bear and hope you join us for our future episodes. Please keep supporting professional wrestling.